Growing up, and I mean, still to this day, I've always been a huge baseball fan. I know in, in, in Cardinal Country, there are all kinds of huge baseball fans, and I'm so happy for you all right now. Like, I mean, the Cardinals are looking good and everything, and the Royals are like 25 games under 500, you know, so it's a, it's a great thing. I've always been a Kansas City Royals fan. My dad was a Kansas City Royals fan. He raised me to be a Kansas City Royals fan, and some of my favorite memories growing up are honestly going to the ballpark. Going to, to, to Kauffman Stadium, my dad would take us on trips every summer, and we would just tour various ballparks, and, and it was one of the coolest things in the entire world. But the thing that my dad instilled in me at a very, very young age is that you show up to the ballpark, and people don't do this whenever you live so close to a ballpark. Whenever you're two and a half hours away from a ballpark, you show up to the ballpark the moment that the gates open. And you go in and you enjoy the entire thing. Like, like experiencing Major League Baseball players taking batting practice and watching them with their fielding drills and stuff like that. That is every bit as exciting to me as watching the game itself. And so my poor wife and kids, I mean, now whenever we go to a game, they have to show up with me an hour and a half, two hours before the game because we are going to take it all in. I loved batting practice. And, 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 and so nowadays, whenever I go to a game, I still show up early. And this is um, something, like I said, my dad, he really, really instilled in me. But whenever I was 19 years old, I went to a Royals game with one of my friends. And whenever I, we showed up, the gates opened, we went down to our seats, some of the very first people in there. And all of a sudden, I feel this tap on my shoulder. And I turn around, and it's somebody with the Kansas City Royals shirt on. And I'm like, yes, sir, am I in trouble, you know? And and he said, no, but we need somebody to do the pop fly challenge today. Would you be interested? And I'd been to enough games. I knew exactly what this meant. The Royals used to have a promotion that they would choose one person from the, from, from the crowd to go into center field and to catch three pop flies. And depending on how many pop flies that they caught, everybody in attendance would, earn, would win some sort of like a gift card to, to a sporting goods store. I was chosen to do that. I have a picture of it up here. That, well, kind of. It's not 1994. I'm not that old, okay? Like, that's, it wasn't 1994, but, but that's me on the little mini old jumbotron there catching fly balls. They kind of gave you the general area of where to stand, and they were so far off. The first fly ball just went flying over my head. I went running after it like a baby deer, and luckily I caught the thing. The second one, I was a little bit closer by. The third one, I had it measured in, and we were all good. Won everybody everything that they could possibly win, one of the coolest things. And maybe you're thinking, oh, wow, Andy, that's so neat. There were probably 7,000 people there because you're at a Royals game. And generally, you would have been right. But this happened to be Cal Ripken Jr.'s final game in Kansas City. And so it was a sellout. There were like 32,000 people there. And so I'm there catching fly balls in front of all these people. My heart is just going, pom, 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 pom. But one of the coolest things that I got to experience was I actually got to stand on the field about 15 feet away from Cal Ripken Jr., during his ceremony at Kauffman Stadium, his last game in Kansas City. How cool is that, right? Me. So, that, that, that was good. Another time, several years later, I went to, the, to another game and showed up early with the exact same friend. And we, uh, and, and, and again, a guy comes and he taps me on the shoulder and is like, hey, I, I, I turn around and see the royal shirt. Am I in trouble, sir? No, you're not in trouble. I just need you to run in the hot dog race. Would you be willing to run in the hot dog race? Sure, why not, you know? And so I end up going, and, and I have a picture of this as well. 
So I, I go back to the, to, to, to the area whenever they, they say, you need to go, get ready, get dressed, get your hot dog suit on, all that stuff. And I'm like, maybe I have a chance to win this thing. You know, I was probably 35 years old at the time. And, you know, maybe I have, no, not 35, like 30 years old at the time. Maybe I have a chance here. Maybe I can do something. And then the first guy who walked in who I was going to be competing against he walked in, and he's just jacked out of his mind, you know, and he ends up talking to the Royals people, and he's like, yeah, I just finished my sophomore season of, of college baseball. I'm like, I'm hosed, you know, and then the next guy walks in, and he's wearing Asics running shoes. All that I know about people is that if you are wearing ASIC running shoes as regular shoes, you are a runner, and, and so I knew that I was in trouble. I knew that I was going to lose, and sure enough, I got smoked. I was a smoked Sausage, you know, so it was, um, it was quite the ordeal, but man, it was just so cool being able to go through the bullpen, being able to go back, being able to come up through the dugout, being able to run by the Royals, like it was just one of the coolest things in the entire world. Don't you love whenever you're invited to do something kind of cool? Like it makes you feel so special, it makes you feel like you've been chosen, it makes you feel lucky. But if we're being honest, there are also times whenever we receive an invitation to do something and we immediately break into a cold sweat. We immediately begin to come up with all the many reasons that we can, as many reasons as we can, to get out of what we were just invited to take part in. Many of you just did that while Daniel and I were talking on stage. Trying to come up with, why, well, what's my reason? How can I get out of doing this? But, and, and, and we break up, and, and I mean, we understand this because all the introverts right here, you may not say amen any other part of this message, but all the introverts know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You have a laundry list of reasons to get out of anything that you are ever invited to do. I get it. But here's the thing. The text that we're going to look at today is, it is exactly where this tension lies. This tension of will I stay or will I go? And our text is found in Matthew chapter 22. But before we get to Matthew chapter 22, we have to take a look at a lot of these important things that are taking place in Matthew chapter 21. Because in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus enters Jerusalem for the very last time. Like he's on his way to the cross. And we understand that whenever Jesus entered Jerusalem for the very last time, that he, he went into Jerusalem with like this hero's welcome, people lining the streets, palm branches on the ground, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But then it did not take very long before Jesus found himself before the Jewish leaders and he was being opposed, facing the opposition of these Jewish religious leaders. And so on more than one occasion in the Gospels, we see where, where Jesus, he, he just begins to tell stories. He normally has like a certain audience around him, and he just begins to tell stories, story after story after story. And anytime he did this, it was so that way you can make a very, very clear point to a certain group of people. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here towards the end of Matthew chapter 21, and then on into the beginning in Matthew chapter 22. So here he's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders about the kingdom of God. And the first parable that he tells them in Matthew chapter 21 is it's this parable about two sons. And the father told the sons to go work in the vineyard. And, and the first son said, no, I'm not going to go, dad. But then he ended up going. The second son said, sure, dad, I'll go. But then he just played PlayStation all day. 
And so then Jesus asked the question, well, well, which son did what was right? And the answer is pretty clear. Well, the one who said no, but then ended up going. And then Jesus said, yes, you're correct. And then he said these words the, the tax, to, to the Jewish leaders, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. And then he told a story about this landowner who had rented his, his fields to these farmers. And, and at the time of the first fruits, he sent some of his servants to the farmers to collect the first fruits. But whenever the servants showed up, the farmers, they, they beat one, they stoned one, and they killed another. And so then the, the, the landowner, he sent more servants to these farmers. And again, they, they beat some, but beat one, they, they stoned one, and they killed another. And so he had this idea, the landowner had this idea, well, if they're not going to respect my servants, surely they'll respect my son. You see where this is going. And so he sends his son, and these farmers, they, they killed him. And so after telling this parable, Jesus asked the, 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 the Jewish religious leaders, he said, so what will the landowner do? And they replied, he will bring those wretches to a wretched, to, to, to a wretched end. And then Jesus, as though to say, you're absolutely right, he quotes Psalm 118, and he says that the stone that the builders rejected, saying, I'm the stone, and you've rejected me, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone, this thing that everything else is built upon. And then Jesus would say, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, Jewish religious leaders, and given to those who will produce fruit. Then immediately after that story, this is what happens. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they heard Jesus' parables, and they knew he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Then that's the end of the chapter, and it's not really a great chapter break. I understand why they put it there just because of the length of the chapter. But what happens at the beginning of chapter 22 is in the exact same setting and in the exact same encounter is what happens at the end of chapter 21. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. And so here we have a king who represents God. We have a son who represents Jesus. And we have the servants who represent the prophets. You have to remember, again, Jesus is talking to the Jewish religious leaders. And so he's pointing these Jewish religious leaders back to their own history, this history of, of God's chosen people constantly wandering away. God constantly sending more, more and more messengers to his people. This people who, though they may change for a bit, many other times they would completely ignore the messengers or even kill the messengers. But just because Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience here doesn't mean that we who are not Jewish are completely off the hook or really off the hook at all. Sometimes there is a striking resemblance between us and the Israelites. The parallels between God's people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, and us today are plenty. Have you ever been there? To where you see God move in such a clear way. You were sick and then you weren't. Your marriage was broken, but then it wasn't. 
You, you, you have all these things to where, to where you've seen God move, and you tell yourself whenever you see God move, I will never doubt him again. But then a week pass, a month may pass, a year, a decade may pass, and then some new kind of pain, some new kind of trial shows up, and our immediate reaction is to say, God, where are you? Where are you? When are you going to do something for me? Have you ever been there? Have you ever known what you need to do to honor God? But instead you chose to, to do something else, to honor someone else or to honor something else instead. We may not build golden idols anymore to worship, but we still have our idols just the same, the same way that the Israelites were known as a stiff-necked and an, a, a, a hard-hearted people, so we can be a hard-hearted and stiff-necked people, unwilling to move just like the Israelites in the Old Testament. So the king, he's throwing a banquet for his son, and he sends his servant to invite the people, but everyone refuses to come. No excuses, just sorry, not interested, not coming. And in that day and age, to turn down an invitation from anybody was considered a great insult. But to turn down an invitation from a king? I mean, that was like signing your own death warrant. That was at least like you were going to be punished very, very severely. And they knew that, but they didn't care. And so then the king, he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. So come to the wedding banquet. So again, he sends, he sends more messengers, more servants to the exact same group. You could say that the first invitation was like a save the date, but this one was like a, hey, everything's ready, it's time to go. Come on, follow me. And this is so, so important. The fact that, that the king would, would again and again send messengers to the exact same group of people, this unwilling to move people, we have to understand this. We have to see this, that this is grace. You see that? This is mercy. So often we wonder, what does the grace of our Father in heaven look like? What does the mercy of our Father in heaven look like? This is exactly what it looks like. They didn't respond initially, but the king gives them another opportunity to do the right thing. They didn't respond initially, but the king gives them another opportunity to accept his invitation. And these people had done nothing to deserve this kindness. They had done nothing to deserve the invitation of the king. But the king continues to invite. How did they respond this time? Well, they paid no attention to him and they went off. One to his field, and another to his business. So during the second invitation, they at least had their reasons. Some of them had their reasons this time for not accepting the invitation. They were preoccupied with their own affairs, and, and because they were so preoccupied with what, what they saw in the here and now, they completely missed what the king had for them. And my goodness, church, that will still preach today. We have our reasons, don't we, for why we refuse to accept the king's invitation. Our priorities don't align with the king's priorities. And we choose our priorities over the king's priorities. We see what the king says is right and wrong, 
But then we listen to what everybody else says is right and wrong. We choose to side with everybody else being right and wrong as opposed to what the king says is right and wrong. We have this unwillingness to surrender, this pride. We go through, through different kinds of pains and trials, and, and, and it keeps us from accepting this invitation, whether it's family struggles. We go through, 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 through all these different things. We, we, we experience the, the, the hurt of, of those who claim to be followers of Jesus. We've experienced the hurt of those who, who are a body of people who claim to be followers of Jesus. We allow our hearts to become hard, our hearts to become superficial, our hearts to be divided. Can you relate with any of that? We receive an invitation from the king, but for any number of reasons, we choose not to accept it. And so there were a couple in this crowd who, who, who they just went on to their other affairs, their immediate affairs, but the rest of the crowd, they seized the servants, they mistreated them, and they even killed them. And the king was enraged, so much so that he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Church, this is so, so important for us to hear today. In his mercy, God gives many opportunities to accept his invitation, many opportunities to repent. But eventually, judgment will come on those who do not respond. We don't like to talk about that in the church anymore. But eventually judgment will come on those who do not respond. And Jesus is speaking to an audience that generally they would have loved the talk of the wrath of God. Because they had always been on the good side of the wrath of God. It was always God going in his wrath showering down on another people to give his people a new land. They loved the, the, the concept of the wrath of God, but this time it was different because this time they were the subject of the wrath of God. And if we're being honest, if we can just be true to ourselves, if we can be truthful to ourselves today, there are times for us today that we love the thought of God's wrath. We love the thought of God's anger. We can't wait for God to give them what they deserve. We can't wait for God to take care of them. And sometimes we may feel this way without also realizing that God's anger can be directed straight at us. Because do you want to know what causes God's anger to be directed at you? It's when you refuse to accept his invitation. And so he continues in verse 8, he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready but those I invited, they did, they did not deserve to come. And then I love this verse 9 so much. So he says, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone that you find. So the servants went out into the streets and they gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. He says, go to those who initially were not invited. In this context, that is us. He's talking about the Gentiles. He says, go to the unlikely, go to the broken, go to the unexpected, go to those who have nothing to offer, go to those who could never pay me back. Just go and invite people to come in and to celebrate with the king. 
It is so clear, we see this still in our day today, that the arrogant will ignore God. The wealthy don't see their need for God. So God seeks the lowly, he seeks the broken, he seeks the hurting. Those who will humbly submit to his reign and accept his invitation. And if that was the end of the story, it would be such a great story. We could just pray right here. You all would be inspired by the goodness and the grace of God. But Jesus has one more thing to say. But when the king came in to see his guests, man, this is hard. He noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without your wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. I don't know if he was speechless because he was dumbfounded. I don't know if it was, holy cow, I'm in the presence of the king. I don't know if it was some sort of a smug response like, you don't need an answer from me. Just be happy that I'm here. But the king told the attendants to tie him hand and foot and to throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when we hear this through the lens of our culture today, we immediately think this king was a jerk. Like you were so upset that people weren't coming And now you finally have people who show up, and just because they weren't dressed the way that you want them to dress, you you throw them into the darkness? You throw them into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth? But here's the thing. The host would have provided everything that they needed to attend that party. The host would have provided the wedding garments himself. Whenever they came in, they would have been handed, here's all that you need, here's all that you need for the entire evening. But instead of putting on the wedding garments, it's as as though this guy was just saying, okay, fine, I'm here. I accepted the invitation, but don't expect me to change. I'm here, but I'm going to come in my old soiled garments. And it's as if Jesus is saying, listen, you're invited You're invited, church. You're invited. Now come. Now come. But don't you dare stay the same. This is not about clothes. This is all about the heart. This is about the king saying, I've provided for you everything that you need. And man, I believe that that's the message that he would give us here today. For those of us who are confused, for those of us who are stuck, for those of us who are, who are kind of caught in this place of I, as, have I shown up, I accepted the invitation. Isn't that good enough? Aren't you happy? He has given you everything that you need. So clothe yourselves with Christ. That's the language that the Apostle Paul would use from time to time. Clothe yourself with Christ. Take off all that is you. And put on all that is Christ. Take off your own wants, your dreams, your desires, your version of right and wrong. And put on all that is Christ. His wants, his dreams, his desires. Take off your view of humanity, your view of society. Quit trying to look at things the way that you want to look at things and begin to look at things the way that Jesus would look at things. No longer have your heart just be okay with the things that completely break the heart of God. And this is why this is so important. Because you will not be accepted by the king 
without first putting on Christ. And so Jesus says, few, for for many are invited, but only a few are chosen. Church, you've been invited. Those of you who are here and you've never accepted the invitation of Jesus, you have been invited. I wish I knew where you were so I could just get down and look you straight in the eye. You have been invited. And not only have you been invited, you have been given all that you need. The question is, will you go? Because here's what I fear, in the same way that many of the Jewish leaders were so unprepared at Jesus' first coming, so there will be many self-professing followers of Jesus who are completely unprepared for his second coming. But don't miss this. In his mercy and in his grace, he has given you today. And as some of us live lives that are separated from God because of our sin in his grace and in his mercy, he has given you today another opportunity to accept his invitation today. And so I I think that this sums up this parable pretty well. God in his mercy has given you today. But make no mistake, because of his justice and his righteousness, Your sins will be punished. But here's the good news. In his grace, he sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sin upon himself and to give us everything that we need to be made right with him today. So here's the questions. Will you accept his invitation? Will you accept the invitation of the king? Maybe you're here and you say, already done that. Okay. Will you put on Christ? Will you take off all that is you and put on all that is Christ? Maybe you're here and you're saying, already done that. Okay. Now will you go into the streets, into the alleys, to the broken, to the hurting, And will you extend to them the exact same invitation that the king has extended to you? So church, come on. Let's put on Christ and let's go. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you for what it is that you've done on our behalf. Father, just driving in here today, I was just so, so thankful for this people, for your work in our lives, for the things that you have done on our behalf. So, Father, today I pray that you will open up our hearts and our minds to to be moved by you, to to be moved in, in, in your invitation Jesus, that we will surrender our our lives, our thoughts, our dreams and our desires, that we will take off all that is us and put on all that is you. 
Jesus, thank you for providing everything that we need on the cross through your resurrection to give us the hope of an invitation. So, Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray.